going to make the same damn amount of creative, the same amount of landing pages. I still got, it, it does not change my workload at all. And this is one thing that bugged the out of me when I was a dear principal. And it was just like, I, I remember I had this great campaign on a Mitsubishi Outlander. It worked out really well with this company. I was like, this was good. I felt good about this, okay? I think I'd spent maybe a couple grand with them. Next month, I was like, I want to spend five grand. I want to keep going with this. I feel good momentum. We're getting good translation for dealership. I like what I see online. Like, it's cool. Let's keep doing this, right? For freshly brewed discussion on automotive sales and marketing, this is Coffee with Jason. The Coffee with Jason podcast is sponsored by Closers Coffee. For that full-bodied, rich, sweet flavor with a bright acidity. Drink Closers Coffee, stay caffeinated, and keep on closing. Find out more at closerscoffee.ca. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here with Digital Dealership Solutions. Hey, thanks for joining me another episode of Coffee with Jason. I have a very special guest today, Mr. James Grace from Vermont. Thanks, James, for taking the time to come jam with me today. I really appreciate it. No problem, Jason. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, everyone out there that don't know kind of who you are and how you got started in the industry and what is the origin story that is James Grace, if you can kind of take a couple minutes and share that at the information with the audience, it'd be a great place for us to start. Yeah, sure. So um, I went to engineering school. Uh, I got a, uh, a degree in electrical and computer engineering from Carnegie Mellon. And uh, a lot of my master's research there was funded by General Motors. So. Uh, I thought when I started school, I was going to go work for Google or Facebook or Apple or one of these big tech companies <laughs> in Silicon Valley. And uh, instead, I did some cool uh, research in the early days. It was uh, cars talking to each other um, wirelessly and uh, ended up getting recruited into, into GM. Uh, and that's how I started in the auto industry. Fell in love with our industry, driving uh, the first prototype Cadillacs off of a uh, assembly line. Uh, <laughs> I worked on the first, uh, the, the all new CTS that we did back in 2008. Um, so anyway, that's sort of how I got into the industry. And then that's cool. um, from there, I was on the tech side on the OEM. So designed a bunch of um, probably the most interesting things. I have a patent on TiVo for cars. Um, so listening to... <laughs> an NPR story or something and you stop for gas, you can hit the pause button instead of sitting there and waiting for it to finish. That um, is so cool. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And then, um, I crossed over to the marketing side. Uh, I grew up in, in Vermont, my whole family's here. Uh, and in 2014 we decided to move back. Um, and I ended up at dealer.com in charge of analytics. And then we got bought by dealer track and then we got bought by Cox and, um, <laughs> I ended up in charge of analytics across all of Cox's digital operations um, and uh, or on the media solutions side, Kelly Blue Book, Auto Trader, Dealer.com. And then about 18 months ago, I decided to uh, to start wisely. And uh, so that's what I'm doing now. We, we have um, a bunch of SaaS products trying to help dealers uh, and the rest of the industry kind of use, use data in smarter ways and, um, you know, Actionable analytics is uh, is what we we say we do. For the I world. like that. I like actual analytics. That's that's pretty cool. So so you took the proverbial dive into uh, doing your own thing. That that's yeah. um, I'm always curious and fascinated by kind of how that process comes about for people. You know, was it was it just a, a eureka moment for you one day? You're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna do this myself. 
or was it kind of a buildup? You know, I think definitely a buildup. I think um, certainly up until that time, I had worked at a series of of big companies um, mm-hmm. between General Motors and um, Panasonic. Uh, yeah, I think I've heard of those uh, somewhat large companies. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Okay, we're talking really big companies, yes. <laughs> and, you know, at some point you start to look back at your life and your career and think, um, you know, when did I really enjoy what I was doing? Um, not the, the most, right? Like, what am I What am I really excited to get up in the morning and do? And those early days at, at GM, I mean, I, I mentioned to you before that I worked on that Cadillac and I knew every millimeter of that car. That's pretty cool. Um, and I, my responsibility was the whole center stack of that car. And the first time we we built a prototype car and it came off the end of the prototype line and we turned the key and it started up, you know, that was a real good, great moment for me. And so um, I realized that as time had gone on, I I hadn't done that kind of work a lot mm. recently. Um, and so the thing I like most about Wisely is I'm coding again. Um, you know, I do all the dev for for our products myself, which is, you know, means a lot of late nights and early mornings. But um, <laughs> and so uh, it's sort of reignited my passion for for tech and, um, you know, building stuff that is actually useful and interesting to people. And so that was really my motivation. It, it, it was sort of I wanted to to build something again to do the, the real uh, actual coding, actual work. And then, you know, there's all kinds of other stuff running a business of, um, that, you know, I don't have a marketing department or an HR <laughs> department or a, you know, so you get to do, um, uh, I pollinate a lot of flowers. I, I like, uh, I like to do coding in the morning and a podcast in the afternoon and legal paperwork in the evening. You know, I, <laughs> the variety of that is really attractive. It is. And I think, you know, and it's, it's funny you said it because it's actually one of my favorite things too. You know, it's just, it's get up in the morning and it's just, it's having that routine of just being uncomfortable, you know, having to get out there and do things that it's like, yeah, it just has to be done. And it's just at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. So you got to do it. So you, you've had this, this opportunity to work for these large companies. <laughs> you, you've had access to data that, I mean, as a marketer, I mean, I gotta be honest with you. I'm a little jealous. Okay. Yeah, right. I mean, just, just a little jealous. All right. If I just, if I could sneak a peek, you know, for 24 hours at some of the data that you've been able to take a look and digest and see, um, man, would that be, that, that'd be something else. So you've had these opportunities. You, you've been in the industry long enough to kind of see these, these curves and these changes and these adoptions and marketing efforts and operation efforts, you know, what are you seeing right now? Like, where do you see, you know, the opportunity is for that ABC Motors dealership and urban, you know, any town? Well, I mean, first of all, I think the what was fun about my job at, at Cox was, um, you know, you did have all of that that data. And I went to a lot of meetings where, you know, my job was to sort of stand up and sing and dance around the interesting <laughs> things that we had had learned. And um, while that was fun, I often felt like um, I would go and give a presentation and people would go, oh, that's interesting. That's, you know, he seems like a smart guy. That's, I didn't, I didn't realize that before. But then the (laughs) conversation would quickly shift to like them actually doing their job. You know, what (laughs) campaign are we running next year? What, or next month? What's my budget? And so I started to feel like, well, you know, this is fun to a certain extent, but am I really impacting 
um, the business here, which is where you know I get the most enjoyment is um, doing something people care about and that is important. So that's where I sort of started to focus on the the actionable side of things. Of mm-hmm. analytics is only you know interesting to a small subset of people if you're not actually doing something. Well, so, data is only as good as how, as what you actually do with it. Like, yeah, I, mean, I mean, I always say data to be a paperweight and just sitting on your desk doing absolutely nothing, or it could be worth a lot if it's used. Well, there's a big difference between data and information, right? I mean, uh, you know, you can you can drown in data pretty easily. Um, converting that into information is a is a different story. Um, so anyway, to answer the question you asked me, I think probably the biggest opportunity I've seen developing over several years, um, and we're sort of at close to you know peak right now, I would say, um, is the amount of money that dealers are wasting on SEM. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, over and over again, I see huge budgets and linking that to any sort of sales result the mental gymnastics that our industry goes through to try to um, demonstrate ROI is uh, is fun to watch sometimes, but um, <laughs> I do think that that's the biggest opportunity where, you know, some small dealer somewhere, um, you know, when you're, you need to tighten your belt a little bit, cut your SEM budget. Well, you know, what's funny you say that because, you know, when I originally started my agency, um, I, I started with the intention of not doing SEM. Uh, but actually getting real, true, grit, dirty, organic efforts, you know, through well-planned out and th- thought and creative and time and creating actual content. You know what it came down to? Dealerships didn't want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to pay for long-term organic efforts. I, you know, I told them, I said, look, you want to be, um, I don't know, in, in your town, you want to be number one result for a Ford F-150, okay? Well, I'm going to need about six to nine months. You know, and, and I'm going to spend a lot of time deep diving into what people are focusing on, what they want to focus on. I'm going to look for opportunities and organic here and there. Nobody wanted to pay for that because it didn't fall into a 30-day cycle. Yep. And then Google AdWords <laughs> shows up, and I can flip a switch, and there's my ad. <laughs> and yep. the money, we were talking about this earlier, just kind of turned in and flowed into a point where it was just an ATM Dealerships were just putting in their digits and Google is taking their money. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting about our industry, and I even saw this on when I was back on the OEM side of things, um, my first job at General Motors was uh, I showed up on day one and they said, we want to put hard drives in cars. Um, And your job is to figure out what to do with them, which is honestly a pretty backwards way of doing product development solution (laughs) or problem. But, you know, whatever, that's a different story. Um, But I quickly learned there's automotive grade everything. So you can't just put a normal hard drive in a car. You have to put an automotive grade hard drive. You can't use a normal resistor on a circuit board. It has to be an automotive grade resistor. And so that translates through marketing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, an interesting thought experiment is like, why don't more dealers use um, HubSpot for their CRM? Right. If any other, I use HubSpot for my CRM. Yep. I use Zoho, which is similar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I use Zoho. um, I started out with their CRM and I migrated to HubSpot for a couple of reasons, but there's all of these tools that, um, and why don't we use them for automotive? And it's because there's automotive grade everything. And so 
Um, the whole scalability problem was interesting. So if you're like dealer.com, for instance, and you've got to support thousands of advertising clients, you can't do that without some machine scalability. So, mm-hmm. you know, it figures out what inventory you have and what campaign should run. You hit the button and the campaigns launch. So there's a certain amount of that that's necessary because um, what automotive grade means is more requirements and less volume. Yes. Almost always translates into a, a pricing and profitability challenge. And so if we don't realize that, I mean, somebody has to pay for all that extra extra work and, and lower volume, right? So I, I understand the vendor side of that where they've got to do some some level of automation. However, on the dealer side of that, I find often they haven't even, they don't even know what keywords they're bidding on. No. It's sort of, I write the check, um, they, it's an OEM approved program or, you know, I trust the guy that calls Check off that proverbial box saying I did my job, you know. I mean, I found people spending thousands of dollars bidding on exact match of their OEM. I I, I see it all the time. I am telling you, I see that crap all the time. Uh, hell, I saw, I saw a vendor the other day actually reporting analytics on second page results. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not shitting you. I was just like, I was dumbfounded by it. I was like, I saw this report and I'm looking at these bounce rates and I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, that's really yeah. good. Second page results, that's what they were reporting on. Well, I mean, I, th- I saw this so often in my, my previous world where um, if your goal as an analytics professional is... Um, come up with a storyline mm-hmm. that proves <laughs> the point you want to prove. If your goal is um, uh, being a, as objective as possible and sort of understanding what's working and what's not, that's a completely different approach. Mm-hmm. And Very much so. Um, I don't think we often do enough differentiation between those two. I, I think there's a place for mar- what I would call marketing analytics. So you want to put something on your marketing material of we influence 90% of the sale car sales in the country or whatever it is. Great. I, you know, more power to you. And you, you should do that sort of thing, right? It, you know, it, that's what marketing is. That's not the same thing as what's, what's often billed as a performance review yep. where, you know, you're taking money from a client and ideally delivering them, them results, that shouldn't be an exercise in salesmanship. That should be an exercise in, you know, did we do what we said we were going to do? And well, see, I think that's that happening. That's where I see the fundamental thing starts. That's a problem actually where it starts is that in, in these reviews, like what are we reviewing? Results on what? Right? I, I, I find that, you know, people will get into this, will start working, you know, with a vendor or something like that, never have a defined goal and objective in mind. They just immediately start marketing but i'm like what the hell are you marketing and why the hell are you even doing it i mean i i sat in the other day on an oem level it was an oem level uh webinar and they were talking about results this was an agency talking about their website results and i was just like it, it was just it was just results but but not related to any very specific quote objective it blew my mind yeah i mean context free um you know clicks or leads or you know you see the same report over and over again we spent this much money you got this many this many clicks it's everything's great send us another check right yeah and um it just 
what's interesting is with, with, with Wisely, we have a certain level of volume now, um, certainly not what I experienced at Cox in terms of the number of clients we dealt with, but enough to be statistically significant. And when I mm-hmm. look at, we track a measurement that's the percent of my spend that's assisting sales, right? So hmm. that's all. Ideally, you'd want that to be a hundred, but that's that's not marketing, right? You know, no. there's, um, there's some hit or miss ratio, but um, it's been decreasing over the past year. So if I look at the average across yeah. our clients, um, I would say we sort of started off in the forty-five percent. Um, so you're wasting about half of your SEM, which is a, a problem. I mean, I, I did a blog post about um, the, that's a significant impact to the, to the bottom line of our entire industry. Just oh, 100%. SEM huge, spend. huge waste. But it's going down, it's been down 10% over the past year. So, you know, the problem is bad and getting worse. Um, and, uh, but we're marking the same thing. I mean, we're putting the same creative out. I mean, do you not think at some point in time, I mean, you get, uh, we look at dealers, you know, um, embracement of digital marketing and it just kind of went up, 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 up. But so now you just have, you know, a majority of, I would say over 90% of all dealerships, you know, putting forth a very decent budget into digital marketing, but with the same bloody message as every other dealership out there, the consumer is going to get desensitized. I mean, I don't even think anybody, does anybody even give a shit about a $147 biweekly payment anymore? No, I mean, I, I think, I think you're right that it's a lot of, that breaking through the noise is, is a challenge. Um, and I don't know, it's interesting when I, when I start down these paths, I very quickly think to myself how hard it is to be a marketing manager for, for a dealership or a dealer group. The, the sales pitch from all, from all these vendors is basically, hey, we've got a turnkey solution. You don't have to worry about anything. We know you're a busy person. Just give us your money and, you know, the results. We'll take care of everything else. Yep. And so that's what they're being sold. And then your typical marketing director is not only dealing with digital, but what color are the balloons and the wavy guy that's in the uh, – and, you know, did we – did we do our juvenile diabetes fundraiser again this year? And then also more and more the, the vendor management guy for the whole dealership. So they, they're responsible for the CRM contract, yep. DMS contract and trade pending and you know, everything. So it, it's a, it's an almost impossible job. Um, and so it's sort of, I never want to get too critical of, of the way things are, are because I think, um, that's a very, very difficult job. But I also think that the vendor community should do better in terms of... Well, I, I agree. I, I think I think the vendor community needs to step up their game. But I mean, I do push that back on the dealerships as well. It's like, look, I understand that you don't have necessarily a lot of time. You do have to play a role of conductor. I get it. Mm-hmm. Your vendors intimately understand what your operational goals and objectives are. Right. And if they do, then the meeting shouldn't be necessarily. There's so much review going on. I'm just dumbfounded with the amount of time that is spent reviewing, but not enough time actually spent strategizing, say, you know, coming to them and say, look, here's what my operational goals and objectives are. You are my vendor, my DMS vendor, you're my CRM vendor, you're my marketing vendor, you're my live chat vendor, you're my one of 52 different vendors. Okay. All right. Here's what my goals and objectives are. What are you doing to help me? 
get closer to that? What piece of the pie do you bring to fit into that that Lego that's going to become, you know, that goal and objective? Right, yeah. It's interesting. You can ask anybody on either side, whether it's the vendors doing the call or the dealers receiving them, you know, who's had a uh, productive, useful, or enjoyable um, review call in the past six months. Good luck getting someone to raise their hand. So, I agree with you, yeah. It's not adding value to anybody. It's not enjoyable to anybody. It's not improving anybody. Why are we doing it? You know, there, that's the, to me, one of those things of like, let's find a better a better solution. I, I'm not suggesting I know what the better solution is, but when you're spending, you know, I see dollar signs these days when, you know, you're talking about meetings and how many people you've got engaged and yep. who's, on a, who's on a plane for the review call and it's sort of, it you know, gets you astronomical. Ten or fifteen thousand dollars on a meeting mm-hmm. without too much effort, and that's a problem. You know, yeah. I think we every we need to think more care, carefully about that stuff. I think. And so it's not only that. Then I look at the vendors, and you know what? I do have to give vendors a hard time. All right, look. For the most part, we're almost taking advantage of the fact, or a lot of vendors are taking advantage of the fact that the dealers, the the general dealer body out there, are not educated enough on best practices. So, I mean, we're presenting, there are vendors out there that are presenting strategies, utilizing keyword efforts that are easily 5, 10, 15 year old strategies that still are not, they're not relevant today, but they're able to just, I don't know, spit shine on it and show it off as some shiny product when it's really nothing new at all. I think that job's tough too, um, Mm -hmm. for, especially if we're just talking SEM, right? The, the margin is minuscule. And so, you know, Google is really the one making out on that deal where if you want to make any money selling SEM to car dealers, it's a volume play. Well, it's a volume play for a lot of people that don't, that, that don't appreciate uh, creative. See, like for like myself as an agency, we're, you know, we're more of a creative shop than we are. A more digital market. You got to get people that are willing to pay for that, right? That's so, the kicker. But I'm finding there's more and more of me type us yeah. companies that are popping up everywhere. So I, I do see kind of a push in that direction. Totally agree with you. And I think a, um, you know, my advice to a dealer would be: okay, you're spending ten thousand dollars on on SEM a month on average. Spend five thousand dollars on mm-hmm. a great creative agency and be willing to write them the check for their time and expertise. And yeah. then spend and and then spend the other half on your actual media. Part of the problem is in this whole thing is you've got these cost plus models where there's an incentive built in to to have the budget be as high as possible. So if you as an agency, if your model is pay me five hundred dollars a month just to have the benefit of my time, and then whatever advertising you you do, great. Those models are are better, I think, um, but a lot of times they're not even approved at the OEM level to do. Well, see that—that's that a big problem right there, right? So, like, we're we're flat rate. I, I we call it flat rate, right? Yep. If if you want to spend five hundred dollars on the campaign, you want to spend fifteen thousand dollars on the campaign. Look, at the end of the day, my workload don't change. I'm gonna make the same damn amount of creative, the same amount of landing pages. I still got it. it does not change my workload at all. And this is one thing that bugged the. Sh- out of me when I was a dealer principal. And it was just like, I, I remember I had this great campaign 
on a Mitsubishi Outlander. It worked out really well with this company. I was like, this was good. I felt good about this, okay? I think I'd spent maybe a couple grand with them. Next month, I was like, I want to spend five grand. I want to keep going with this. I feel good momentum. We're getting good translation to the dealership. I like what I see online. Like, it's cool. Let's keep doing this, right? And, and it sucks at that point in time. I was so busy in operations. I couldn't even do my yeah. own marketing. Um, but then I got a bill that was just that much more higher. And it was like, because it was a percentage of my spend. I said, you know what? I'm not going to get angry with this, but I am going to make the phone call. And very politely, very professionally asked, okay, I understand that I got charged more for this. Um, I just need to know real quick, you know, for the difference between here and here, you know, what additional work did you guys do for that amount of money? Nothing. Right. No one could give me a bloody answer at all what actually got put into additional work for the additional amount of money. So, I mean, that's a, that's a reasonable business model, right? If everybody goes right? into it saying, hey, this is a percentage of spent, um, the problem is is that it puts the incentive in the wrong place. 100%, so because now my goal is for you to spend more money. Agencies that I, I mean, I typically, I end up in a situation a lot where I've been hired to audit the spend or you know, be the ROI guy. And then yeah. now there's an agency involved. Um, and they of course don't like to be questioned or put on the hot seat or I get that dynamic, but fundamental to that is they have to keep the spend at a particular level in order to keep the doors of their business open. And so when you're, when your primary incentive is, get the client to spend as much money as possible, regardless of whether it's actually working for them, that's a problem. It is a fundamental problem. I totally agree. That's If I had to pick one thing to say, mm -hmm. like, this is the, the problem in the SEM area of our industry, that's it. Almost all the incentives are based on a spend level rather than anything resembling actual business results. Google as well, right? If you're an agency, yeah. they'll put quality labels on everything all day long, but ultimately it comes down to do you spend a lot of money with them or not? That's where you get to be the gold-plated five-star platinum Google provider, right? No, 100%. Hey, we could talk about, you know, Google and Facebook kickbacks, you know. And it's like I know people don't realize it's a real thing, but it is a real freaking thing. If you're an agency of large enough size, all right, there are there there's there's some significant money flowing around out there. A lot of times that's the difference between a profitable business and a non-profitable business. That, that's and true. That, <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> when you're on that much of a razor edge margin between running a profitable business or not, and it depends on whether some other company is giving you your your kickback, or, I mean, that's a that's a problematic situation. And, and there's responsibility all the way around, mm -hmm. whether it's starting from Google or the vendors or the dealer. It, it's a system that's been created that's not working very well for ultimately the consumer. And I would argue that the, the dealer is the one that's sort of getting shortchanged the most in that because they're ultimately a small business, right? I mean, that's why I love this industry is you can, you can find a car dealership anywhere around the world and it's, it's a small business serving local customers. So that, that's who's paying the price mostly for, for all this dysfunction is, you know, you got a, we got a bunch of franchised small businesses around the world that, um, you know, are, are, are struggling because of, of this situation. And I, you know, I wish we'd do something about it. And, and to your point, the consumer is the one that gets kind of the rough end of it, right? Because they're now given what I consider to be subpar creative efforts. Yep. All right. Or just really subpar efforts altogether. 
you know, and, and the consumers just left thinking that the dealership gives a crap more about the transaction than necessarily creating a relationship with them. So it's like, you know, a lot of the times the marketing doesn't even seem to match with the dealerships, you know, about culture or drive or team efforts are even about in the first place. Well, I mean, right. And a lot of times the dealer doesn't even have control over it. I mean, one of my favorite examples is email, right? Let's mm-hmm. say let's say your goal as a dealership is to have a consistent brand presence emailing your customers. I mean, I'm a small business owner. You're a small business owner. It's important. I want to be in charge of who's emailing my clients and what they're telling them, right? 100%. And for many of these OEM programs... The, de- the dealer couldn't do that if they wanted to. They're yep. sending out dealership branded emails that maybe if you're really paying attention to the <laughs> portal or you can have a couple of days notice that they're going to email all of your, your customers. But so it's hard not to just throw up your hands, right? And say, well, you know, I can't control this. And then the consumer experience is I got five emails from your dealership, different colors, different branding, different messaging, one, you know, on the same subject, two days apart. Like, what? Who are you? People drunk and disorderly? That's how. That's how we're perceived. Uh, literally, with the dealership, wants the exact to control their little yeah. piece of it, and not give you know, not allow for a holistic uh, experience. It's 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 a challenge for sure. So, what are your thoughts? Okay, because um, you know, I, I I have issues with the amount of involvement manufacturers are getting into when it comes to dealership marketing efforts. I mean, it, it's, look, it, it's a wholesale and retail, you know, relationship, but it seems like it's going way beyond that. I mean, it's, uh, I, I buy my vehicles wholesale from the manufacturer. I sell them to the consumer retail. Yeah. I'm the retailer in this. But, you know, it seems like just to be, be able to purchase wholesale comes with just this insane amount of stipulations or what I should be doing with my ad dollars. What is your thoughts and opinions on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we could certainly make a whole podcast just on that topic, I think. Um, you know, what I would say to start out with is I think um, from the OEM perspective, I, th- I think it's the case that the majority of, of dealers are, are not putting time and energy in into this is our strategy, this is how we want it, this is our email plan, this is our SEM plan, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, these OEM programs benefit a lot of smaller operators who really do just want or have the time for, um, okay, I've got an SEM program, I've got a budget, you know, make it work, do whatever the, the manufacturer says, right? So I, I do think that we like to make fun of that, um, but that's a very real benefit to a lot of of dealers. But we say that, but have you ever seen the stats on that? Because um, uh, well, I've asked a, for it, and I've never seen it. We live in a snow globe, though, right? You and I are in the, in the, <laughs> the digital marketing business, so the people we're interacting with are the ones that are upset. But there's, there's 15,000 franchise dealers in this country. Right. Yeah. How many of them do, do you know by name? I mean, I, I've been in this industry for a while. And so I think a lot of times we get this echo chamber of our, our experience with a fairly small amount of, of people. So I'll start with that caveat. With that said, mm-hmm. I think painting everyone with the same brush is the biggest problem. With these okay. OEM programs, 
there ought to be a process where you could say, look, I get what you're trying to accomplish here, but I'm this dealer group and this is my strategy. This is how I do SEO. This is how I do branding. This is how I do email mm-hmm. and convince them to leave you the hell alone, right? There, there, there should be a way to opt out of the silliness so that if you can demonstrate, I'm not going to damage your brand OEM. I'm not going to compete with the guy that you have franchised down all these things that they're legitimately worried about. Right. Sure. If you, you can demonstrate a plan to, to, to not do that, there should be an opt out um, where if I want to use my own homegrown website that I built, um, I should be able to do that and get the same co-op benefits as long as I can demonstrate to them that uh, their legitimate business interests are being being protected. I think that's the thing. It, that, it's that's a certified a certified program. program, which is I I got no look. I have absolutely no problem with you know manufacturers coming out and saying, hey, look, we, we need at least have a, a baseline, All right? So it's like if if you are going to do something on your own, we, we need you at least to be right here. But it's one it, like some of these efforts get to the point where they're just straight up dictation. It's like you don't have an option. There, there isn't another opportunity for you to do. If you know, if you want to get those almighty co-op dollars, all right, that you are literally handcuffed to what you're able to say, who you're able to work with. Like it's, I, I personally, I get a little ticked off. I think it's out of control. And but, I, but I can say this though because I've been on both sides of the table. Yeah, I've been the dealer principal. I've been the marketing person. I've been the vendor. I've been the client. You know, so it's like, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that I think it's, it's, um, you know, if I had to pick, is it out of control or not out of control? You know, if I had to give you a binary answer, I'd say it's, it's, it's out of control. Um, <laughs> and I do think that, I mean, co-op is an interesting one, right? I, I think I didn't realize until I, I started wisely that um, the extent to which co-op is driving meaningful marketing decisions. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. I had a client who was doing social advertising and they were doing well. They were generating leads. They were cheaper than their SEM leads. Um, They, they were doing content. They were launching pro. I mean, it was a good, solid, you know, good marketing program. And I said, why aren't you spending more money on this? The, you know, your budgets for SEM are up here. You're spending a fraction of that on social. Mm -hmm. All the metrics, you know, are better on the socials. What's going on? Well, you know, we don't, the the co-op doesn't reimburse us for the, for the social stuff. Well, why not? Well, because we do it internally. Oh, well, can't, can't you fill out the reporting? Well, yeah, but who has time to keep up with that? And, you know, the, we have to spend three days a month just making the reporting and we don't have time for that stuff. So. I realized that this is a, it's not just a bureaucratic pain in the neck. It's mm-hmm. actually keeping people from making decisions that they would otherwise make. And so, you know, we built this product recently. I call it co-op accelerator. That's um, that automates all of that reporting for, for people just because I wanted to remove that objection. So, you know, if um, agencies use it or dealer groups, people that, have better things to do with their time than you know spend three days generating co-op reporting. We've automated all, of, and that's that's sort of one of the things I mean by auto, actionable analytics, right? I mean, yes, you can pull data till you're blue in the face, but um, actually using it to, you know, solve a meaningful business problem of co-op reporting, you know, I I feel pretty good about about that. But I didn't 
I didn't realize until starting down this path how much that was affecting people's actual spend decisions. Mm-hmm. If um, we're going into uh, seasonalities, look, we have seasonalities in our industry. Like we just have to accept they are what they are, right? Um, this is the time of the year where I do see a lot of reactiveness happen. I'm not saying that I don't see it throughout the other times of the year either, but it just seems like the level of just being incredibly reactive with our marketing efforts and it just starts to increase this time of year. Um, is, is there any advice you can give to the listeners, the people that are watching, you know, going into this season of, you know, here's some good ideas, best tips, best practices. You know, one of the things I um, had told people over the years, I, I used to get that question a lot when I was, I was at Cox and I'd have to come up with some sort of, you know, every month, uh, uh, this is what I think this month um, for, for them to put out. And I think a lot of times it comes to, I mean, you started by saying it's the seasonality time of the year. So the deal, they know what's going to happen on Black Friday, for instance, um, or in December or those last couple of weeks prior to the, it's, it's not news. I think where we get reactive. I think it's not news, but then it happens and all of a sudden, you know, they're acting like, oh my God, it happened. (laughs) It's lack of planning, right? So I think that's my my major piece of advice is, okay, you know how to get from here to the end of the year. Um, You should be having a conversation with your agency now about what campaign we're going to run the last two weeks of the year rather than waiting for an angry phone call from the general manager or dealer principal saying, we've got a target to meet, what are, what's marketing gonna do about that? So I, I think a little bit of, of, of planning um, and you know some good old fashioned basic blocking and tackling with a content calendar and a um, you know, campaign calendar, just that, that planning for the end of the year, I think would be my, my there's, there's no silver bullet or you know, secret sauce to it other than you know what it's going to look like. You, you know, the same thing happened last year. Plan for it. It's being proactive. And I think, that, you know, if, if I could gift anything to our industry um, as a whole, it would be the, the ability to just routinely be proactive in their efforts, um, both marketing and on operations as well, right? Now, one topic I did want to talk to you a little bit about because it's coming up a lot lately. I'm doing a lot of 2020 meetings, you know, getting ready for the new year and stuff like that. And, and, and I am finding more and more dealerships um, understanding that the that the, the value in Google is, is is as being the primary or almost majority of their ad spend is not necessarily the best idea. You know, they, they are asking the questions about you know pushing more towards Instagram, pushing more towards Facebook, pushing more towards LinkedIn, pushing more towards. I even had a deal talk the other day with a dealership about TikTok. I was surprised I had that. <laughs> I was thinking that too. Um, but but I did have the conversation with them. I was just yeah. like at least, and I think that's what the cool part about it was is that at least I was having a conversation. Yeah. You know, that may not be actionable, but the fact that they were willing to come out and say, "Hey Jay, what about this?" Is there something we should be preparing for? Is it something that should be on our radar? Is there a strategy? Is there an idea? Something along that lines. Um, but for those dealerships out there that are looking down through 2020 and that are so much of their aspects in Google, you know, what, what should they really in 2020 be looking at? How do they, what is the best way to kind of diversify their, their marketing efforts going into sure. the new year? Yeah, I mean, one, low-hanging fruit um, is usually Bing. 
So, um, and I normally get, you know, strange looks from people when I say that, but um, one of the things that I've seen over and over and over again, whether it's at Cox or Wisely or dealer.com or wherever, um, the data says that traffic from Bing converts at a higher percentage than Google. Mm -hmm. So it's a much smaller piece of traffic, but often the conversion rate is double. So, um, and most people are spending zero advertising on on Bing. So, um, you know, that's that's one sort of easy thing. It's it's higher quality traffic. You're sure. getting more. Now, why is that? It's because um, you know it's the default search engine for Internet Explorer browsers, and there's a lot of people who are car buyers who don't bother to change their default settings when they buy a computer. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think. Uh, that's a that's one. I think. Secondly, um, I I still think Facebook, Instagram is is, is underrepresented in our industry. I mean, there there Me are too. people out there that would say, you know, it's too much. The you know the volume is increased. I I don't see that very often. I I think um, I see a lot of people spending there. They're getting cheaper leads. They're getting cheaper traffic. They're getting you know the, the conversion rates for our tools are um, are better in terms of you know it shows connection to more more sales. Um, so I, I think that's another another one where uh, people should should spend spend more. And, um, and I think it pushes us to be more creative conscious. Yeah, I, I mean when when you think of social media, and it is in the two words, second word being media. You know, um, that it's, it's, it is what level of media, what level of creative are you actually putting out there for someone to consume? You know, it's, we're not limited just to that black and white text of, you know, of words, right? We actually do have to take time to think about who's going to consume this piece of creative and why the hell would they would act, why the hell would they actually want to engage with the piece of creative in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I think to your point earlier, that's a, a big opportunity for our industry as well, is some sort of meaningful brand differentiation. Mm -hmm. um, there's only so pretty, you can only make a picture of a car so attractive, right? I mean, and <laughs> that, I'm, I'm saying that as someone who's in love with our industry and has taken a lot of, you know, uh, pain to, to take picture, beautiful pictures of cars. I think, um, you know, ultimately, you, you need a brand message that goes over and above that, which sort of brings me to video is another one where, um, you know, you'll have people talking about everybody needs to be in video. And I, I am a believer in the power of video as a, as a medium. Yep. Um, I think my kids, like every other kids are constantly, I mean, they spend 24 seven on YouTube. Right. So um, the, but I don't think there are very many good video solutions for our industry. And again, that goes back to my whole automotive grade scalability. I think a lot of people have tried to solve for the, how can I automatically produce video content? Yeah, I see. It, they, to, um, they're looking for that quick fix. You know, exactly. in our industry, we like that. We like diet pills and quick fixes. And, you know, we just want the easy button. Where can I push the easy button? And this is actually where I think dealerships have a lot of opportunity because this is where they can really kind of differentiate themselves, right? You know, it, it is in, we do, God, we produce more video than I would have ever thought we would have, right? Yeah. 
you know, I, I went into this, I went into this business and now my business has almost transformed three different times just in the last five years. And, you know, now we're known as being a video agency. We produce over around a hundred videos a month for dealerships across the country. And, you know, I, one of the featured, one of the options I would have never thought someone would even be interested in is a, is a dealership shoots a video, but then it sends it to us for the, what we call the fix, you know, and cause there's still an element with video that, that you need to have talent to produce. You need to have talent to edit it. You got to take time to do it. It is a time consuming thing, but man, a well edited piece of video that comes directly from the, directly from the dealership and it, it's able to evoke emotion it's able to create either laughter or sadness or piss somebody off or um, it, can, it can support both education and entertainment the exact same time. Like it just from a creative perspective, there's just so much value to that medium. And I wish dealerships would embrace that a hell of a lot more. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think especially for um, what I call, you know, the mid-sized groups of 10 to mm-hmm. 50 stores where because an individual store is going to have a hard time finding the budget to do that kind of high quality video production. Um, you know, if they want to make a real priority out of it, uh, they can, but I think the value to a, if you got 10 stores, 15 stores, 20 stores, you've got a brand that matters at that point. Right. Um, and by matters, I mean, people know it's more than just one store. And so putting some, some energy into, um, how do we present our our brand in video? I think is a good investment of of time and and energy. But I see if I see video at all now in my my consulting practice and people using our um, the dollars and cents tool, it's almost always pretty bad in terms of of performance and actually related to sales. And people you know wave their hands around. Well, you know you're just doing brand awareness, blah blah blah. I think it's just nobody wants to see twenty minute pre- canned pre or twenty seconds of canned pre roll with car <laughs> footage that came from the OEM with a little banner. That I mean, that's not um, it's not interesting or or compelling. And so I I think I would say find a way to do video would be you know on my list of things you should do in twenty twenty, but only if you're going to do it well is the important. Um, cause it's so easy to waste a bunch of money on something that's not going to work if you don't put the, uh, the creative energy into it up front. It is. And, and, and we got to start looking, I would say also for 2020, just kind of add to that is that we got to start looking at our marketing efforts as kind of stepping stones. You know, th- th- this idea that we put a singular piece of creative out there or a single ad out there and just assume that that one ad or that one piece of creative is going to bring that, that conversion it, it's just, it doesn't happen anymore. Like it doesn't happen anymore. People, I mean, I'm seeing people engaging with two, three, four, five, six pieces of different creative over multiple platforms before they even go to the dealership's website. Yep. You know, like the, the consumer's hungry. They, they, they want more of a compelling reason to even visit your website. I mean, don't even get me started on form fills. Oh. Oh, I know, right? I was, I was with a dealership the other day. They just looked me straight in the face. And they're like, Jason, we want more. Just We just want more form fills. And I'm like, God, I'll go down this rabbit hole. Right. First off, how the hell they're even handling the ones they got. Um, right. but, then, but then I said, okay, fine. Let's say hypothetically you're handling them really well. Let's just say that. You're not, but let's say you are. Um, <laughs> no, go to the website. Go to any dealership's website out there. 
what the hell is the value proposition for someone to fill out any one of these forms? I mean, it's atrocious. It's like I saw you know, a tweet the other day where somebody said, "I just filled out a form on a car dealership website, and now I'm now I'm going to have to go into the witness protection program." Right? Like it's just it, it's it, look. It, consumers are consumers are smart, right? We you know the look over the last five or seven years, we put a, a button on our website called e price, and all of a sudden, boom, leads went up by twenty five percent. Problem is, yeah. we spent five years where no one actually got an e price. <laughs> Well, you know, I always tell people if you want more leads, the best thing, the quickest way to do that is take prices off your website. Um, <laughs> your leads will, you know, triple overnight. Now, sure. whether that's going to have the right impact on your business is uh, a different story altogether. I mean, I think um, a potentially controversial point of view on all this, too, is um, I think SEO is an investment channel for for advertising for 2020. I mean, I, I agree. Think the organic traffic is almost always double the value of any other source of, of traffic. And a lot of times we think that that's just, it just happens, right? I, you know, um, my organic traffic is what it is. And um, the days of, of being able to buy some SEO package where some wizard in the back uh, is going to know which buttons to tick to make the Google machine happy is are over. Um, it is long gone and dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So content, um, I mean, that's another great use for video is sort of why I'm bringing this up, right? I think just how many dealers have a good, how do I pair my Bluetooth phone to this car video on their, on their website? Or um, how do I, where, where is the, uh, how do I get the tire iron out of the, out of this car or these, I think if you go into a dealership and you go into the service department and you say, um, make me a list of the five top calls you get from people who, um, are looking for this button or, you know, can't, uh, can't pair their phone or whatever. And you go off and make content around that. Um, that's that sort of, creativity and helpfulness if you spent let's say i'm going to spend i'll get a high number fifteen thousand dollars producing some high quality video content to help answer those questions and needs i you'll get more traffic organically for that fifteen thousand dollars it's going to actually impact sales than if you spend 15 grand on seo well and you know what i think sem and seo have to have a relationship with each other so i'll tell you a little bit kind of like like how we would do it right we like to get very audience specific like super super hyper targeted with our with our video creative um, we did a video the other day for a nissan rogue and it was literally targeting massage therapist talk about a small bucket of people right, yeah, right. <laughs> but we just we literally grabbed a massage table and showed them how easy it was to slip in and out and to store all this equipment in there, right? Um, then we also did another one for um, for uh, Uber drivers, right? Another one, just showing them how why this is a good vehicle, how this kind of supports your efforts if you're going to be an Uber driver. Again, small audience out there, right? Now, we're putting both those videos out there. We're starting with SEM, right, to put the videos out there to the prospective audiences, okay? Yep. Now, how one relates and how one engages with the other will then give us the idea of which area that we need to go focus some organic efforts on. 
No, I, I totally agree with you. So it, it's 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 not. See, we we think of like SEM on one side of the table, and it's like SEO is a whole nother other department, and it's over there, and they don't necessarily work with each other, but they actually are very well married married to each other. You know, in this particular case, we actually saw that the video that we did for the massage therapist actually took off. Would have never guessed. Seriously, yeah, would have never guessed. Okay, but now it has spawned a series of content about massage therapists and the vehicles that are required. Because I guess in our area, there are a lot of massage therapists that uh, drive. They, they, they don't because it is so bloody expensive to have any type of retail space here. A lot of them are door to door. Lots of cities in the U.S. too where, you know, you have massage therapists coming uh, door to door for those exact exact reasons. It's sort of Every, everybody's advertised, I'm the Uber of whatever, but, um, you know, the Uber of massage is, I, I, you know, I've seen it advertised more than once. Um, and I think that's, if you go off and look at your, your SEM tool and your SEO tool and say, I haven't done this, but so it, this is an educated guess, but people searching for um, best car for Uber or best yep. car for, you know, massage, what there's, there's probably significant untapped search volume for for those things and that's that's the level of creativity that i think doesn't get applied mm-hmm. often enough in in our industry conventional wisdom up in, a few years ago was uh, i need my my web platform vendor should be doing my my seo and there was this thought of um because they know the platform so well, because they know how to add all the right metadata. And it's this leftover mentality from SEO is about, you know, tricking the machines. Yep. Um, and I think that's totally wrong. I, I think it is. There's no good reason why your web platform vendor is any better at SEM or SEO than somebody who does SEO for a living. So I, I think it would be dealers should push back on that that mentality of because um, that that's still the talk track as far as I've heard it is yep. oh pay us extra to handle SEO for your for your website and the reason we should do it is because we know our platform better than than everyone else and I don't I mean it's a fundamentally creative enterprise um, getting the content you produce to show up on your website um, is the easy part. It, it is right. It's 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 actually the easy part. You know, um, I was just thinking more about twenty twenty. You know, if I if I could add just a little thing to that as well, it's just I I, I would love dealerships to start thinking uh, or start talking, not 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 more or less on what they want to advertise, but whom they want to market to. You know, like we need we need to get more audience specific with our efforts. You know, the, the fact that you know, look, this is this is. This is a beautiful thing about digital is that I don't have to put one piece of creative out there and assume that one piece of creative is going to be relevant to every single person out there that's shopping for a a, a, a Chevy Cruze. I guess we're not making it anymore. Um, yeah, <laughs> a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> well, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, we actually have a product um, called Pinpoint that is really targeting that need. You know, one of the things I realized again, after starting wisely is, um, that dealerships have more first party data than almost any other mm-hmm. industry. Um, but we, it's so hard to use. I mean, in any other industry, 
I mean, I can go into my HubSpot instance and advertise to a group of people in my CRM and, you know, in the next five minutes, right? Easy peasy. Yep. Uh, and we don't have that capability in, in automotive. So anyway, we, we developed this tool called Pinpoint. Its whole purpose in life is converting your DMS data into audiences that you can advertise to. So if you want to say one of my favorites is anybody who's been in and had declined service, you can keep an ever evergreen audience out there that people have had declined service in the last 30 days um, and advertise to them. And we started out doing that. It was originally intended to be a, um, like a better advertising product where we were going to sell the whole sort of soup to nuts advertising. And um, quickly I realized that the real benefit, I'm a big fan of we should do us pers- us wisely as well as everyone else in the world. Um, you should do stuff that you're better than other people at. And um, we're better than other people at doing, at making data sing and dance, um, not necessarily at doing, uh, you know, advertising execution. So anyway, we've got this product that will convert DMS data into audiences. And, um, you know, I, I really think figuring, whether it's with us or any other way, um, making better use of your first party data to, uh, to target your advertising is another thing, another 2020 thing. I, I, I think that's not happening very much at all. I, you it's know, not. It's very, it's very little, but, but it's also why there's so much opportunity in it. Yep. You know, it, you're not having to change a whole lot. You're not even, it's just literally a, a different mindset. You know, it's, it's identifying the audience that's going to help me meet my goal and objective and then reverse engineering the creative that's appropriate to them. You know, instead of being a creative first industry, which is what we are, it's literally what we are. Let's just, let's just put, let's just, let's just put ads out there. Let's just put ad, let's just put prices out there. Let's, you know, but instead reversing it and saying, okay, well, let's, let's first define who we want to target and then what would they actually care about? You know, I, I know for a fact, looking at dealerships data that, um, the, the cash rebates in this specific dealership and the specific demographic, all right, are, are being taken advantage by, by by an older audience. Okay, that's that's who who, who is taking those cash discounts. They're retired. They have a little more of a nest egg. All right, they appreciate that five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars. But if I know that and I have that data, why the hell am I sending this? I'm wasting money, stupid amount of money. All right, pushing this this message out to uh, to everyone instead of just targeting this this older one. I, 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 I was looking at dealership's data the other day. There was like, there was clear that they didn't do a whole lot of leasing, but the leasing that they did do was between the ages of 24 and 35, mm-hmm. right? And it was, most of them were singles, not a lot of families. And I'm just like, well, okay, so why are you putting a lease off for targeting everyone? <laughs> right. When this, your dad is selling you, this is who's leasing. I, it, I think it's left over from this mentality of give me a name and a face and I can sell a car, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I think that drives a lot of this behavior. I'd rather have one name um, and shifting that is is hard. A lot of times because the way you get promoted through the leadership ranks at a dealership is generally through the sales channel. So True. you've got people who have been success you know one of the things in life is you don't you don't stop doing stuff that has historically worked for you right so if you've you've historically you've you've been successful in your life and your career so far by 
focusing on whoever walks in the door and I'm going to sell them a car absent some like traumatic (laughs) why would you think that that's not the way you should should behave right so I, I think that that culture and that that mentality is sort of what keeps us from executing on those strategies more often I think I agree. And I think, you know, um, you know, we've done a great job, I think, of really just kind of highlighting, you know, the four or five things that if dealerships, I mean, hell, even if they just embrace one or two of them yeah. moving into 2020, I think they should, they could see some really significant changes in uh, their actionable analytics. <laughs> yeah, I agree completely. Uh, James, um, I, I definitely think that there's going to be a second part to this podcast. I, I, I could do this literally for another hour with you easily. Um, this has been so much fun. Um, but for everybody out there that is listening or watching right now and would love to connect with you and learn more about what you guys are doing, uh, what, what is what is the best way to do so? Uh, they can get us on our website, so www.wizely.us, uh, or they can get me personally, james at wisely.us, um, and either one of those is fine. Awesome. James, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, no problem. I agree. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. We covered a bunch of great topics today. What stood out most to you? Be sure to let us know in the comments section below. And don't forget to like the post and share it to keep the conversation going. You can follow Jason on all social media platforms by following Strategy with Jason. You can find him pretty well everywhere you can share content. I hope we were able to get you thinking. And until the next time, have a great day.